Dear congregation, as we providentially come to the seventh commandment in our exposition of the Ten Commandments as we follow the template of the Heidelberg Catechism, I'd like to direct our attention to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, and we'll read verses 27 through 32. Matthew 5, verse 27 through 32. Let us hear the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said of old, of, to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her as already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word. Our Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41, explains and confesses the seventh commandment in this way. Question 108. What does the seventh commandment teach us? Answer, that all uncleanness is accursed of God and that therefore we must with all our hearts detest the same and live chastely and temperately, whether in holy wedlock or in single life. Question 109. Does God forbid in this commandment only adultery and such like gross sins? Answer. Since both our body and soul are temples of the Holy Spirit, we, he commands us to preserve them pure and holy. Therefore, he forbids all unchaste actions gestures, words, thoughts, desires, and whatever can entice men thereto. As far our confession, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 41 on the Seventh Commandment. Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, sometimes Reformed churches and other churches who faithfully practice Christian discipline are accused of only having one commandment, namely the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. Today, we have been witnesses of that in our church. Indeed, we need to see all sin as a grievous offense to God. Sin which separates us from him and demands his justice. However, there are certain sins that you simply can't hide. Sins that become public. 
sins that have terrible consequences. And especially sins that are at the root of our passions, our desires, and our lust. I trust we all agree that murder is a terrible sin. Taking someone's life which God has given to them. It has terrible consequences. But let us never forget that the seventh commandment, adultery, also has terrible, horrific consequences. Devastation to marriages. Devastation to families and children. The sins of Rape and incest and prostitution and homosexuality all have grievous consequences that affect people's emotions, psychological state, spirituality, family, and those around them in, in society. Breaking the seventh commandment is a selfish idolatry with devastating consequences. And dear congregation, premarital sex also carries with it devastating consequences. Something so celebrated in society and maybe even among our youth deprives future marriage partners of a person from their single-minded intimacy with their significant other for the rest of their life. This is a social injustice against others as much as it is a personal offense against God. I want you to think about that, young people. To think about how you could ever trust marrying someone who doesn't love you enough to fight against the sin of premarital sex before marriage. That person doesn't care about you at that time. Do you think you'll get married and he'll all of a sudden care about you? Do you think you could ever trust that person alone with another person of the opposite sex? If they can't even fight against it with you and for you, how would they fight against it later?
And so adultery becomes more and more rampant. Which has devastating consequences in families as marriages are broken down. Jesus himself saw the gross reality of broken down marriages because of adultery and having such a high view of marriage even allows for divorcement when the marriage bonds are broken. This sin, when it's unchecked, has devastating consequences. Not only in marriages and families, but for the church as well. That leaven that leavens the whole lump it's like a disease of cancer spreading rampantly. You find that especially in 1 Corinthians 5. As Paul exhorts them to deliver such a one who is living in sexual immorality to Satan for the care of the congregation. And the seventh commandment is not a sin that you can hide. Maybe you think you can get away with it for a period of time. But it's not a sin that you can hide forever. Many times there are consequences of children before marriage. You can't hide it. Today where society celebrates premarital relationships and all sorts of relationships, then we find that people live together. Before marriage, you can't hide that. It's public. It's a public defiance against God and His Word. And we are called to hear His Word and His commandment. Not to cause us to all shame, but to all cause us to look at our own hearts. Because each one of us needs to be reminded. Lest thinking we stand, we would fall into the very same sin and burn in our own passions and lust. Let us not think that we can judge and condemn only to be condemned ourselves. So I'd like to look at this commandment. Seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery. And just ask it three questions. What is forbidden? Secondly, what is required? And thirdly, what is promised? First of all then, what is forbidden? Jesus says in our passage that we read in Matthew 5, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Where does adultery start? To understand that, we need to get to the heart of the matter because it's a heart issue. Each one of us is religious. Each one of us. Every person in this world is religious. And without God in their life, you get to the heart of the matter is that they are depraved. We are all depraved sinners. It's found in Genesis chapter 3. And even those whom God calls out of this world to be a part of His church, even in Jeremiah 3, God is pleading and accusing Israel even of spiritual adultery. 
calling them those who would play the harlot with many lovers. And he calls them to return because without a returning to the Lord, the Lord will give them over to the lust of their hearts, even as we find in Romans chapter 1. The first thing that is forbidden is spiritual adultery. It's to turn our back on God. The One who has created us and the One who has given us the beauty also of marriage. Spiritual adultery is really at the heart of it. And in absence of God, we will only want to fill our hearts with the new religion of Christian hedonism. Not Christian hedonism. Hedonism. Worldly, secular hedonism. Pleasure-filled lives that only want to live for ourselves. That's, That's at the heart of the matter. And at the heart of the matter, we find our eye gates, our eyes, seeing and lusting because of our depravity. That's what Jesus is saying. And so therefore, he says, whoever looks at a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. It begins with our heart, and all of our senses feed our heart. And it becomes a mental sin. Heart sin, a mental sin that is driven by our communication, our dress, our conversations, and our gestures even. As we seek to entice and flirt and tell disgusting jokes and try to make normal what is sanctified for the marriage. That's why Paul in Ephesians 5 says, but fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, he said, let it not be named once among you. Neither filthiness or foolish talking or jesting. These things aren't helpful. We need to we need to to recognize what's in our heart. We need to recognize what's coming into our minds through our looking, through our hearing, everything. Because the heart and the mind will influence how we act. As it's normalized, it will come out in our physical conduct. Hence, adultery. Which is in the technical sense I admit, is referring to intercourse between a man and a woman when one or both of them is married. However, fornication, which is broader sexual impurity, is also included in this commandment and clear throughout Scripture. And what we have done in our society was replace the God of the Bible and filled it with a new God and a new religion. The religion of sexual hedonism under the God, the Greek God, erotica. And this has led us to all kinds of difficulties and challenges in our society. Challenges that have led to premarital 
sex, rape, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, all of which the Bible clearly says that God abhors such sins. They're sinning against Him, sinning against His creation, sinning. in a way that brings the judgment of God, even as it did upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Don't forget that sexual hedonism is a spiritual religion. And it promises gratification and all kinds of pleasure. And only leaves a trail of brokenness, devastation, and eternal condemnation, as do all false religions. And you ask yourself, what would it be that causes people to walk away from God and to live in sin? And the answer we find in Genesis 3. Did God really say? Would God really be so unfair that, that, that He would deprive you of something good? And Satan comes and fills our minds with that. And people walk away from God to live in sin. What causes people to be filled with intolerable hate for those who cannot tolerate sin, even the breaking of the seventh commandment? And you find that in Genesis chapter 4 as Cain rises up against Abel. What causes people to want to educate and promote this sin in children beginning as early as five years old? What causes people to make laws to protect and promote this sin in our culture? And we read Ephesians 5 about the principalities and the powers and, and the, the, the workers of darkness. We don't war against flesh and blood, but against these principalities and powers. What causes people to make laws to protect and promote this sin in our culture? What causes people to look and then touch and then become enslaved to this sin? Isn't it the prince of darkness? What causes people to condone and celebrate this sin in our culture? Even to steal the sign of God's mercy and faithfulness, the rainbow itself, and distort it and placard it even on children's cereal boxes and curriculum. His name is Satan. The prince of this world, the great deceiver, the one who organizes and encourages all the principalities and powers of this world. That's why God forbids sinning against the seventh commandment. In his podcast, Glenn Beck interviews Pastor. Jonathan Kahn, who's recently written a book entitled The Return of the Gods. The podcast, you can listen to it yourself if you want a summary of the book, but also I haven't read the book itself, so I can't speak on behalf of it, but I did listen to the podcast. And the podcast is named Warning, What Happens to America When They Give Up God? 
And I'll just give you a quick summary, just a brief summary of, of the message that is, that is portrayed. When we take God out of our society, there will always be a void, and that void will be filled with other gods. And he points to back to Israel, the gods, they haven't changed. The religions, they haven't changed. They've been here since the beginning, since after the fall. And Baal, when Israel forsook God and pushed God out of their life, Baal came in. He was their provider. He was the one who would give them material blessings and so forth and so on. And then Baal wasn't enough, so they would take in the Asherah, the, the goddess of pleasure and, and, and hedonism. And then they would take in the god of Moloch because they needed all of this materialism and this hedonism, but they, they, they had to sacrifice their children to this Moloch. And I think you get the point. I don't probably even have to do a whole lot of explanation as to how this fits into our day. When we push God out of our society and we can say America's doing that, but aren't we even further along as Canada? And materialism and secularism has gripped us and formed new religions with new gods. Hedonism has gripped us. And all of these gods have come to the surface and have become even celebrated in our society, welcomed and praised in our society. Even to the point where we will offer our children on the altar, on the brazen hands of Moloch to preserve our life and our lifestyle and our pleasures. May I ask you with all the love in my heart, dear congregation, is this what you want for you, your wife, your children, our church, and our society? We look back at Israel's history and we tremble at the wrath of God against such sin. Is that what we want for us? So often people, children especially, I always hear these young children come and say, but in my family we're not allowed to do that. And it sounds so negative and so burdensome because there's so many laws in that family that they're not allowed to do this and they're not allowed to do that. And Satan uses that. And he comes and he says, but God is holding something back from you. He's not holding anything back from you. That's not what he's doing. He's not holding you back from pleasure. God is good. And he says, you shall not commit adultery. He says, you shall not even think about it. You shall not even look at it. You shall not become enslaved to it. Why? Because I don't want you to come under Satan's influence. 
I don't want you to come under His bondage. I don't want to come, you to come under His devastation. I don't want you to come under His demise. God is good. And He says you shall not because He wants to protect you. And He wants to protect the beauty and joy of marital intimacy. Because that's what God requires. What is it that God requires in the seventh commandment? Well, first of all, He requires us to return to the Lord our God. And your congregation, do you want to know something? The best way to protect your marriage against adultery is this, is to have a personal relationship with the Lord God. To be united together in the Lord. A happy marriage begins with Christ at its center. And that's also, young people, the best defense a teenager, someone who's single, is to know Christ and to know that you belong to Him both in body and soul. That you are united to Him and you are one flesh with Him. And that calls for a radical holiness as Jesus says here in Matthew 5. He says, this is so radical. This is what's required of you. You have to be willing to take out your eye if it causes you to sin. If your right eye, he says, causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It's more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body perishes in hell. You have to realize that you are bought with a price. You have to realize that our bodies are members of Christ. How can I take myself, a member of Christ, and join together with a harlot or join together with something that God forbids? How can I take my eyes and make them part of harlotry? How can I take my lips and pronounce things of harlotry? How can I take my hands and hold things of harlotry? How can I make them members of a harlot? It would be better to cut it off. It would be better to have it plucked from you because we're called to flee sexual impurity. Just like Joseph in Genesis 39, fleeing from Potiphar's wife, Saying, how can I do this great wickedness, this great wicked sin against God? I'm set apart unto the Lord. And because of that, I detest all uncleanness. That uncleanness in my own heart, that uncleanness in our own marriage, that uncleanness in our families, that uncleanness in our congregation, that uncleanness in our nation. And I see it as God sees it, and I hate it as God hates it. I detest it, and I will flee from it. Do you think you are stronger than these temptations? Young people, I ask you, can you go through life without a phone and technology? If it means it keeps you from this sin, are you willing to break it, cut it off? Radical holiness. Do we detest it and hate it as God hates it? 
Do we speak clearly against it to our children? Do we tell them what the consequences of such sins are? And how that impacts your life? Do we call them to purity? Because that's what God requires of us. You don't need to believe the demonic propaganda of this world. That God is robbing you of some kind of pleasure. No, God wants purity because he knows that only intensifies the joy and the love and the commitment in marital relationships. God's purpose is good. It's to guard us and to preserve us and to enhance something in marriage that, that, is, that is blessed by God, that is full of pleasure, and that is pure marital love. God in marriage, gives us the best wedding gift ever. Sexuality. And he has never given sex as a servant to love. Sorry. God has always given sex as a servant to love rather than what Satan does is makes it a slave of lust. God intends sexuality for marriage, to serve marriage, because God has a high view of marriage. And that's also clear from Matthew 5. It requires that we stay together with our wives and our husbands. He says, verse 31, whoever divorces his wife, and let him give her a certificate of a divorcement. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason, and here God, such a high view of marriage, he says, there is one reason you can break a marriage, and that's through sexual immorality. But whoever marries one who has committed sexual immorality to break a marriage and is divorced, commits adultery. That person can never be married again without committing adultery. To congregation, it's a solemn thing. God takes seriously the seventh commandment, and He requires purity and holiness in marriage. But he also has promises. Promises the seventh commandment. Hear Jesus' words again. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Paul in Ephesians 5 picks this up. Fornicators and all uncleanness. All of those unclean persons 
have no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. You see, Hebrews 13, verse 4, marriage is honorable in all in the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and God, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. God will judge. And so we are called to be imitators of God as his dear children, as Paul says in Ephesians 5, to love God and to have the love of God means we will cut it off. But it's not only spiritually. There's also practical wisdom here that you can find throughout the Proverbs. I'll let you look that up yourself. But I think of the practical wisdom of Job in Job 31. If my heart has been enticed by a woman... Or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, what does he say? Then let my wife grind for another and let others bow down over her, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. God judges in this life and in the next, all who live in sexual impurity. That's a negative promise. But he also gives many positive promises. Many positive. Practical as well. I think of even even how... Even in the fifth commandment, God promises long life to those who who honor their parents. But also honoring marriage and honoring the marriage bed. We would be then free from a guilty conscience. Free from mental images. Free from a warped view of love. God promises blessing. Practical. But he also promises forgiveness when we confess our sins and he's willing, ready, and just to forgive our sins, faithful and just to forgive them. Jesus illustrates that in John chapter 8 beautifully, doesn't he? When the woman who's caught in adultery is brought before him and everyone's ready to pick up their stones and, and stone this woman, judging her. And they push Jesus into this corner. Say, what, what should we do? And Jesus says wisely, he who is without sin can cast the first stone. Dear congregation, we had a solemn announcement this morning. I hope there isn't any single person here present that is willing to pick up a stone. Because when we put our hand in our own bosom, we have all sinned and come short of God's glory. We have sinned against the seventh commandment.
But when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive them. And Jesus didn't pick up a stone and he was without sin. But when everyone had left, Jesus looks at this woman. Where are all your accusers? She says, they're all gone. Well, then I don't accuse you either. Go and sin no more. I am the light of the world. And that light, it exposes, yes, the darkness. But it also gives light. Not only to confess our sins, but the forgiveness of Christ for those sins, but also the light of the Holy Spirit so that we would walk in newness of life. That we would flee fornication, flee sexual immorality as the Bible teaches us. Because then we are filled with the Holy Spirit and equipped for battle. We confess our sins and flee from them. Not putting ourselves in positions and places and in fellowship of people who practice them and only inflame the very desires that live in all of our hearts. But that we would walk as children of light as we find in Ephesians 5. For the fruit of the Spirit is goodness and righteousness and truth. And that we, according to verse 11 there, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. Because the light of Christ exposes the works of darkness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And He calls unto us, Awake! Awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. And His light is this, if your eye offend you, pluck it out. How serious are you? It's a time for me and for you to wake up. Wake up. Wake up to see the demonic possession that has gripped our culture in sexual hedonism. Wake up. To see how it's destroying lives, destroying families and marriages. Wake up! Wake up! If being filled with the Spirit and equipped to flee and fight against fornication is something that is negative to you rather than positive, then you especially, we need to be shaken out of our sleep. If you think that God is too radical about this commandment and we should just kind of overlook it, then we need to be shaken out of our sleep. Wake up. Wake up and provide accountability. Exhorting one another. Encouraging one another. Providing accountability for your children. And children willing to to embrace that accountability for the salvation of your own soul and for the good of your own life. The Holy Spirit uses these means. Wake up. We need mentors today for our young people who are thrown into this this world that is captivated by the demonic hedonism that permeates it. Wake up. Wake up. 
God is providing these things for us that we would use it. Wake up to training and discipling our hearts, our minds, and our bodies. Wake up. There's means that God has given to to positively reinforce our positions. He's given us prayer and fasting. For others, it's, it's good exercise programs. For others, it's, 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 it's a way of managing your time to make sure that there's no empty spaces, that you fill the, your mind in that time of void with other gods. Wake up. For another person, it might be a, a, a cold shower to shake them up. Wake up. We need to be filled with the Spirit, and the Spirit gives us practical, covenantal, and biblical ways to fight against sexual impurity. Wake up. And wake up to the most glorious promise of all. That when this weary night is past, and we awake with the Lord, that we will awake to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Wake up. Wake up and consider what it means to be eternally married to Jesus Christ. Wake up to appreciate the glorious marriage that Christ has for His church. And all of the brokenness around us, we as His bride are redeemed to a marriage. Jeremiah 3, even though God is accusing them of harlotry, He says, return to Me because I am married to you. And we are called to be preparing for that marriage at the feast, marriage feast of the Lamb. To be clothed in white, yes, the white righteous robes of Christ's righteousness, but also through the Holy Spirit's transforming work, conforming us to the very image of Christ that we might be married to Him forever and ever. A perfect marriage where it will be impossible to ever commit adultery again. A perfect marriage where sexual impurity will not even be mentioned. I asked you earlier, do you want for yourself, for your marriage, for your family, for your church to be sold into the bondage of sexual hedonism? Or do you want for you, your marriage, your family, and your church to be prepared for the marriage supper of the Lamb? There's only two ways. One will lead to eternal condemnation and the other to eternal glory. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Turn and confess your sin. Each one. And Christ will give you light. Amen.